This is Reset. I'm Michael Puente, in for Sasha and Simons. Parents of little ones have to hold their breath a little longer. Last week, Pfizer put off FDA vaccine approval for kids under five. The company is waiting more data on a version of the vaccine with three doses instead of two. And Illinois is lifting its mask and vaccine mandate by the end of the month. COVID cases in the state are falling fast, though hundreds are still being tested positive each day. So how should we think about safety and precautions in this new phase of the pandemic? Joining us to answer all of our COVID questions is Dr. Mia Taramina, infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health Health and Care. Dr. Taramina, thank you for making time with us. Hey, Michael, good to talk to you. Doctor, let's start with the news about the vaccine for kids under five. Pfizer withdrew FDA FDA approval last week. What does that mean? So we were anticipating to hear tomorrow um, the argument towards going ahead with the first two doses of vaccine in kids age six months through five years, the last group to be vaccinated. Um, and at the 11th hour, as, as things happen, and this is why parents of kids under five have kind of had to hold their breath the whole time, they have decided with all the preliminary information that they have that the most prudent course is to indeed wait for the data on that third dose, which won't be coming in until end of March, first week of April, before we're actually able to put the entire, you know, uh, data and research in front of us and see the risks, benefits of three-dose vaccine series in these kids. So everything is at a standstill right now, unfortunately, for the littlest ones. And do you have an idea why Pfizer decided to end up uh, to go with three doses as opposed to two? So we have the adult dose of the Pfizer vaccine, which is 30 micrograms, two doses, 21 days apart. And when we went ahead with the kids from uh, age five and up, we went with a smaller dose, 10 micrograms, 21 days apart and two doses. And of course, we're talking about boosters now. And we found in those kids that are aged five and up, when using a 10 microgram dose of the Pfizer vaccine, it generated antibodies on par with what older teens and adults would generate with their two doses at 30 micrograms. So a a very calculated uh, effort was made to approximate a dose of three micrograms for these littlest kids. And as it turns out, between six months and two years, the three microgram dose appeared to generate a fair number of antibodies on par with what was expected. But in the two to four-year-old age group, we just didn't see the antibody levels that were anticipated. So the options were to go back to the drawing board and maybe use a five or seven microgram dose versus simply giving a third dose, which will ultimately uh, become part of a third, a three dose vaccine series. And that's where the data lies right now with all anticipation that three doses will be sufficient to generate an expected number of protective antibodies. But in case we don't quite get there, we needed to maybe pull back putting the cart before the horse and seeing that third dose data first. I think you may have mentioned it a little bit earlier, but when can parents expect to get their little ones vaccinated? You know, I'm, I'm seeing right now the fastest timeline being mid to late April, um, where we're going to see data hopefully from Pfizer at the end of March, early April. Then they're going to have to again present to the FDA for emergency use, get through all those subsequent steps to get shots in arms. So, and that's if the data is exactly where it's anticipated to be at the end of March, early April. If for some reason, 
the data is not sufficient and does not generate emergency use, we're left with either Pfizer going back to square one and starting with a new dose trial or looking to another product like Moderna or one of the other vaccines that may be closer to the finish line with vaccine in this age group. So the earliest I'm seeing is mid-April at this point. Doctor, are you concerned that requiring three shots would severely slow inoculation of small children? Because I can imagine parents not wanting to be able to not just wanting to schlep back to the pharmacy or doctor three times. You know, we have to think about the reality that most pediatric vaccines are done in sequential fashion. Um, nearly all pediatric vaccines are two, three, four doses of vaccines. So this isn't something that is uh, uncommon when it comes to our pediatric dosing schedules. That's how pediatric immune systems work. And if this three microgram dose does turn out to be a great dose for these kids in three shots, the cumulative dose of those three shots is still less than the entire content of one dose in five to 12 year olds. So it's, it's the right way to do things. And yes, it is a lot of back and forth. So the hope would be that sites like we're going to be setting up at Dooley Health and Care will be a centralized location. So you don't have to go back and forth to the doctor's office for multiple appointments. We're going to try to be ready to accommodate this group of our youngest citizens as soon as we're able to do so. You know, shifting gears a little bit, I just want to take a second to emphasize how much has changed in the last month. In January, deaths were surging in Cook County. Now we're talking about removing masks. How did things change so fast? You know, it's a lot of factors that came into play. I mean, we're looking at 200,000 cases per day in the U.S. for the first time since before Christmas. So it has been a whirlwind in the last couple of months with what we've experienced in the hospitals and the unbelievable surge that we saw through the holiday season. What's happened is we have a combination of a lot of people carrying Omicron antibodies right now. So many people became infected, including many, many people that never knew they had it, never tested, maybe never had symptoms or only had mild symptoms and chose not to test. So we have a lot of immunity in our population combined with people realizing the importance of that booster dose of vaccine. So folks that were on the fence but eligible for a booster dose went ahead and got those booster doses by and large through the last couple of months. And that's just allowed these numbers to get that exponential decline that we knew was going to happen because we saw it in other countries that surged before us. So we are definitely on the right track. We are definitely moving towards that place where we move from pandemic to an endemic uh, uh, spread of this virus that we can sort of live alongside for all the future to come. As I mentioned earlier, Illinois is removing mass and vaccine mandates by the end of the month. Why remove these mandates for businesses and not schools? You know, when it comes to schools, this is a, a challenging topic and it has been throughout. You know, part of removing mask mandates has to come down to where our layered mitigation strategies are. When we have these kids that are in classrooms together, social distancing becomes very difficult and challenging. So that's one layer of mitigation that isn't there as much as me walking through the grocery store without a mask where I can easily keep six feet away from everyone else. We also have the fact that, you know, ventilation might not be perfect in these schools and, and other issues. And the main point is we want to keep these kids in school. So to the extent that removing a layer of mitigation like masking may cause more outbreaks, which it may not because we are seeing these numbers come down 
quite substantially. And we very well may have a lot of kids with more antibodies than we even know about. So I don't want to necessarily place my bets on who we took the masks off and we got lucky. This needs to be science-based. This needs to be fact-based. And we need to look at what is going on with circulating positivity rates and a time and place when it is reasonable to take the masks off of kids and, uh, and allow that for parents. As we see in the suburbs, that ship has sailed uh, in many school districts. So we'll wait and see if we have uh, any bumps up in case counts or if things go on as business as usual. You know, I should mention that mask rules aren't changing today. So, doctor, remind us of best practices for face coverings. Are cloth masks still okay to wear? So really a cloth mask is not something that you should be wearing more than a quick run into the store to grab something in and out. Um, the reality is, is with Omicron being so contagious and that's what has changed. You know, we constantly have to have these discussions with folks saying, well, when you, you say that any cloth covering is fine and surgical masks are okay and now you're saying only N95s, doc, why do you keep changing your mind? The reality is, is that Omicron is a far more contagious variant than we had seen previously previously. And because of that, we need to protect the wearer as much as we need to protect those that might be exposed to a, a source patient. And using a mask like an N95, a KN95, or a other high filtration mask that is well-fitting is going to protect you, the wearer, more than any other mask. A cloth mask, any face covering, is going to cover, is going to protect against a lot of the significant droplets from a cough or a sneeze being expelled. But when we're talking about being in crowded spaces, being in indoor spaces for prolonged periods of time, there's no question in my mind that the appropriate mask when you're going to be in a sustained indoor space around people is going to be a KN95 or N95 mask at this time. Well, doctor, how should we think about safety precautions like sort of like social distancing in light of the state removing these mandates? So I think it, with the removal of mask mandates, let's just say for argument's sake that there are no masks anywhere anymore, we would have to heavily rely on sort of the other strategies that we have. So obviously social distancing and hand washing and ventilation are things we talk about. But most importantly now is vaccine and boosting, you know, being up to date on your vaccine, which means if you are eligible for a booster, you need to go ahead and get that booster. I would not be too quick to be removing a mask without a booster dose of vaccine at this time. And then the other important strategy that we're adding into the mix is more testing. You know, those of us that went to Super Bowl parties yesterday, having those government tests that were sent to our house for free or having some home antigen tests on hand, just to do a quick swab a half an hour before that Super Bowl party. So we can, you know, make sure that if we are positive and have an overwhelming amount of contagious virus, it's going to pop positive on a home test. So testing becomes an important strategy too, especially if you've had some higher risk exposures, encounters, or maybe aren't feeling well. Um, that's going to be an important step too. So I think that masking, vaccines, and testing are at the top of my list for those important mitigation strategies. And then all others beyond that are important as well, to, just more to a lesser degree. And doctor, we've been unmasked before back in June of 2021, only to mask up three months later. How can we avoid whiplash this time around? 
I am very concerned that there will be no whiplash this time around because COVID fatigue is so strong. And I don't know that we are ever going to be able to go back and say masks are required. I think that the pushback from a significant uh, and very vocal part of this community and all of our communities and all of our states saying, I will not do this again, um, is is strong. So I think that there's going to be a lot of individual focus on what you can do to keep yourself and your family safe and, and to keep others safe if you have uh, the moral compass to do so. I mean, I continue to mask. My daughter continues to mask because we want to make sure that those we're around are as protected as they can be as well. So getting those vaccines, getting those boosters, and getting the circulating positivity rate to be down to that 1% or 2% that we saw last June is something that we can live alongside and be maskless alongside with our vaccines in place. Well, Doctor, now Illinois is lifting its mask mandate, but the CDC isn't recommending this to Americans across the country yet. So why not? We're just not there to a point where we can say we are clearly at an endemic level where nationwide we are clearly meeting certain scientific thresholds. State by state, I think that there are going to be opportunities for this. We have certain countries that have vaccine rates in the 70 and 80 percent range, which are more than sufficient to start to peel back some of these mitigation strategies. Within the United States, we don't have vaccine rates state to state that are that are in tandem to one another. Another, we may as well be 50 different countries in terms of vaccination rates in some of these areas. So it's going to have to be sort of at a state by state level, which is why states are individually announcing when they feel their data, their statistics, their trends will be at an appropriate place to go ahead and roll back. All right. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Michael Puente, in for Sasha Ann Simons. And I'm talking to infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Teramina about the latest COVID guidelines. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, we're celebrating Valentine's Day by hearing from a local longtime couple who have been married for 70 years, and they share what they've learned in keeping the love alive. That's up ahead next. And so, Dr. Teramina, Omicron isn't totally behind us yet, though cases are falling fast. Has Illinois improved at responding to surges in the pandemic? I think that most of the area hospitals are, to the extent they can be, well-oiled machines when it comes to um, seeing patients that have breakthrough infections with COVID or uh, new COVID cases. We have uh, nurses and docs and uh, respiratory therapists all the way down the line, um, completely capable of taking care of these patients uh, to the best of our ability. So yes, when and if there are surges, we, we are able to accommodate. Where we run into problems, like we saw through the holidays, is when we had such an overwhelming number of patients that it did stress our healthcare system. It made us have to revert back to considering making elective surgeries, um, you know, something that we could postpone because we just didn't have the physical space inside the hospital to accommodate all the patients that needed to be accommodated. And that's a scary time when we are, you know, having to, to look at things like that. We, we also have right now this subvariant of Omicron, that BA.2 strain of, of Omicron that's slightly more contagious. And we have some preliminary data showing that maybe our monoclonal antibodies might not be as effective against that strain. So we have to continuously stay ahead of therapeutics available for our 
patients, depending on what strains of virus are circulating so that we know the strategies that we have used, the antivirals, the monoclonal antibodies, our oral agents that are now available, still have the effect that we need in order to keep patients out of the hospital and to prevent severe COVID illness and death. There are still many people in Illinois who aren't fully vaccinated. What impact will they have on the direction of the pandemic now? So it's hard to tell. You know, we definitely had a period of time where we referred to this as a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And that was sort of, you know, pre-Delta. We had uh, a period of time where it was okay to go ahead and, and, and be maskless. And especially if you were fully vaccinated, there just weren't a lot of breakthrough cases. But once we got into Delta and certainly into Omicron, which has been able to cause a, a substantial number of breakthrough cases, hopefully mild if you're fully vaccinated and boosted. So unvaccinated individuals, it's not that they're going to continue to necessarily overwhelm the hospital, but they are going to continue to be the ones that require hospitalization a bit more frequently, and their hospital stays tend to be longer. So when we have someone who's fully vaccinated and boosted and has a breakthrough infection, by and large, they're not the ones sitting in our intensive care units with hospital stays that are lasting two, three, four weeks. I still have patients in the hospital to this day that have been hospitalized since the holidays. So, I mean, that's how long a, a bad COVID hospital stay can be likely in someone who is not vaccinated or not up to date on their vaccines. That's infectious disease specialist, Dr. Mia Toramina. Doctor, great for having you on as always. Thanks. 